Hello and welcome to Short Tales, a series of short stories written and read by me, Damien Robb. We'll get to this episode's story shortly, but first, I want you to imagine a point of light. It flares red and glowing, then spirals backwards, becoming brighter, first yellow, then white. Another light explodes next to it, this one green tinged with violet. You watch as it coalesces into a ball before exploding again. More lights of all shapes, variations and patterns surround these first two, constantly moving, changing, expanding and shrinking. Containing these lights is a large, lumpy bulb made of translucent flesh, and you realise then that you are looking at a face. Okay, you ready? Good. This episode's story is entitled Miss Penelope Mary Armitage-Jones. Miss Penelope Mary Armitage-Jones was nothing if not punctual. At 35, she had yet to be late to a single event, occasion, meeting or flight. There was nothing in this world that gave her the toxic combination of anxiety and frustration like the prospect of being tardy. Her grandmother, unfortunately, did not feel the same way. She, the older of the Joneses' women, found deadlines to be a fluid concept, one that could be altered through negotiation, pleasantness, or when previous methods failed, faking senility. This, as I'm sure you can imagine, created some friction between the two women. As a child, Penelope would throw herself to the floor and scream as loud as she could for as long as she could whenever her grandmother's tardiness threatened to impeach her own punctuality. Now as an adult, her aggression was a lot more passive, which is why she was refusing to talk to her grandmother as they sat in the airport terminal. I still can't believe that man wouldn't let us on the flight, her grandmother, Mrs Grace Juliet Jones, said for the third time. They'd barely started down the runway. It would have taken us only a minute to catch up. Penelope readjusted the bag on her lap, swallowing back the accusatory words she craved to let forth. She was not a child anymore, she reminded herself. She couldn't scream her way out of this one. Or at least, not externally. Internally, she was really letting her grandmother have it. An airport attendant approached them. Excuse me, Miss Jones? Yes, Penelope and her grandmother said in unison. He said, Miss Jones, Penelope hissed out the side of her mouth, then turned back towards the attendant. Yes, I'm afraid the next flight to Brisbane I was hoping to squeeze you onto is fully booked, so your next option is the 12 o'clock. I see, Penelope said in the calmest voice she could manage. Thank you. The man nodded and walked away. Oh, well, that's not too bad, Grace said with a small smile. It's late, Penelope snapped. It's three hours late is what it is. It's me being late for the first time in my life for the most important event in my life, and you say it's not too bad? Penelope's voice had risen to a regrettable volume during this short tirade, drawing looks from the other waiting passengers. She'd also stood, she realised, and so slowly returned to her seat. Next time, I'll set an alarm, her grandmother said, unperturbed by the explosion. Chocolate? she asked, thrusting a small bag of chocolate-covered peanuts towards Penelope. Penelope bit back another gunfire of abuse, one that included the words, You didn't set an alarm? and instead said in short, clipped syllables, I am not talking to you. Grace simply shrugged and popped a chocolate-covered peanut into her mouth. Penelope had known it would be risky allowing her grandmother to accompany her on this trip, but had done so for two reasons. The first, and this was something Penelope wouldn't admit out loud, was that she was scared and so wanted the older woman around for support. The second was that she loved her, most of the time. Today, not so much. Hello, sorry to interrupt, but I think I may be able to help you out. Penelope turned in her seat to see a thin, middle-aged Asian man dressed in beige pants, a beige short-sleeved shirt, with a beige cap on his head. He wore white sneakers. 
one shade away from being beige. Penelope smiled thinly. Thank you, but I'm sure we'll be okay, she told him. What are you talking about? Her grandmother cried in true Grace fashion, which was louder than necessary and with a jangle of earrings. We'll happily take you up on your offer, young man. As you might have heard, my granddaughter has an important event to be at in Brisbane later this afternoon. Morning, Penelope said, horrified at her grandmother's laissez-faire attitudes toward even remembering deadlines, let alone meeting them. Morning, Grace continued without dropping a beat. So any help you could give would be greatly appreciated. She followed this up by giving the beige man the widest, grandmariest smile she could. The beige man simply blinked, raised the corners of his mouth in a way that looked slightly pained and said, Great, come with me, then turned and began to walk back down the long corridor. Penelope watched in shock as Grace gathered her bag. She took hold of the sleeve of her grandmother's mustard yellow coat. What are you doing? I'm following the nice man, Grace told her. We don't know that he's nice. He could be a serial killer, Penelope said with just a tinge of hysteria. The beige man had stopped midway down the corridor and was looking back at them, face blank. Grace raised her eyebrows. Who was it that was just yelling at me in the middle of an airport because she didn't want to be late? I would think you would be grateful. Besides, he probably just works for the airport. But he's not wearing a uniform. He doesn't even have a lanyard, Penelope said. And why is he wearing all beige? That has to be how serial killers dress. Oh, serial killers don't hang out in airports? Well, maybe at arrivals, but not departures. It just makes no sense, dear. What doesn't make sense is how he can help us when we know all flights heading to Brisbane are full. I don't know, Grace said, but ask yourself this. Are you more afraid of finding out this man's plans or are you more afraid of being late? Death or tardiness? She grabbed her things and stood. Grace gave the man a consolidating wave as they trotted over to him. He said nothing about the delay, just stated, this way, in a motionless voice and then began walking again. Grace chatted away at the beige man as he led them first through the artificially lit interior of the airport and then down into its bowels, moving through corridors and passageways more commonly used by cleaners and baggage handlers, during which there had been a moment Penelope hadn't liked. It was when the man had looked around before leading them through the nondescript door that led to the airport's backstage. Grace hadn't seemed to notice, nor had she seemed to notice that for all her chatter the man wasn't responding to a single word of her conversation or that the only motion he made other than marching determinately forward was to look behind him now and again to ensure Penelope was still there. Excuse me, Penelope said after ten minutes of walking and an ever-increasing sense of frustration and danger. Where are we going? The beige man stopped in front of a door, one no different to the dozen or so they had already passed. Here, he said, opening it to reveal an empty airplane hangar. Empty being the operative word as in devoid of both people and any mode of transport that would allow them to get to Brisbane in time for her meeting with the university board. Yep, okay, Grandma, I think it's time we went somewhere a little more public, Penelope said. Wait, the beige man cried out, his voice relaying an anguish not present in his face. It's not what it seems, please. Pen, dear, let's hear him out. Penelope gave her grandmother a look that said, Are you kidding? He's obviously a serial killer. You know the look. He did say please, Grace said. Then the beige man pulled his face off. No, Penelope realised. That wasn't entirely true. He still had a face. It was just unlike any face she'd ever seen before. His hand held the fleshy mask that had served as his face up until a moment ago, and Penelope alternated between looking at the floppy mass of non-skin to the beige man's non-face. What the face most reminded Penelope of was a lumpy light bulb, a bubbled mass of translucent flesh. 
As she stared, small points of light moved behind the flesh, shifting in random patterns, flaring and dimming. Well, Grace said, that's interesting. Penelope experienced a feeling she'd never felt before, something between a scream and a faint. She then surprised herself completely by taking a third option and punching the beige man in his non-face. It felt squishy against her fist, as if she were punching a jellyfish. Penelope! Her grandmother cried. But Penelope wasn't listening. She grabbed the older woman by the mustard-coloured sleeve and began to run. She didn't get far. The beige man was around and in front of them like a bolt of lightning. No, it's okay, the lumpy globe said with a non-existent mouth. Penelope pushed Grace behind her and raised her fist again. He moved, a blur of light, and then he was holding her wrist, his luminous face only an inch from her own. Please, he said, his grip strong. You need to see this. Penelope felt a breeze and a pull and realised the three of them were now in the centre of the hangar. Grace let out a small, Well, as the beige man spun around in front of them. Look, he said. He pointed a long, thin finger out in front of him. His hand, Penelope saw, had the same see-through texture his head did. A thin, pale tendril stretched out from his fingertip, and a bead of light ran down it. It escaped the end of the tendril and landed on an invisible surface, which slowly became visible as the bead of light grew and stretched across it, flowing over the invisible object's contours. The light dimmed to reveal a vehicle that looked like a fighter jet had mated with a terrarium. Given the situation, it wasn't hard for Penelope to figure out what it really was. A spaceship. The beige man turned to face both of them. Get on, please. Knowing that both running and fighting had failed, Penelope instead tried a different tact. Why? she asked. I can take you to your meeting, he replied. Yes, but why? Why would you want to help me? Why would I trust you? I don't even know who you are, let alone what you are. So again, why? The beige man's blobby head lowered, and Penelope got the sense that he was looking for an answer. Or perhaps he had one and was deciding on the best way to share it. The head came back up again. If it had eyes, Penelope figured she'd be staring right at them. You are very important where I come from, he said, which of course only brought the question of why back to Penelope's lips. That I cannot tell you, he said. Well, you'll have to tell me something because I'm not going to just climb on some spacecraft without some kind of explanation. You may be an alien, but that doesn't mean you're still not a serial killer. I can't tell you anymore, not yet, but I can tell you if we don't leave soon, you won't make it to your meeting. And there was that feeling again. That toxic combination of anxiety and frustration that the prospect of being late wore into her. Once again, Penelope was torn, her mind pinballing between the two terrible outcomes. Oh, just get on the damn spaceship, Pen, Grace cried out. What's the worst that can happen? The spaceship was not what she'd expected, and it turned out the resemblance to a terrarium was more true than she'd realised, as the large glass ball that made up the cockpit and cabin was also full of plant life. Potted trees stood alongside small shrubs, and mingled in amongst them all were small beds of herbs, flowers, and grasses. A makeshift walkway of cleared floor led between them all, but even that was narrow. Penelope knocked over two trees and stood on some grass before she was able to sit on one of the dull metal outcrops that seemed to grow out of the side of the ship and which worked as seats. She sat down with a wince as the soft mushroom shape belied the actual hardness of the furniture. Grace sat across from her, and the beige man seated himself near what Penelope considered must be the front of the vessel. It was hard to tell, the whole thing was largely symmetrical, and there seemed to be no controls of any kind. Grace smiled, looking around at the makeshift glasshouse. I love what you've done in here. I keep a number of indoor plants as well. They really make the room, don't they? The beige man turned his globular head. These are not decorative. They are samples collected from your world. Oh, right, of course, 
Grace said, as though this was a perfectly normal statement to have made, and as if this was a perfectly normal situation to be in. Her calm acceptance boggled Penelope, but her curiosity also made her ask, Do you not have trees then, where you're from? No, the beige man said as he turned back to look out of the glass dome. Vegetation is very scarce there and mostly feeds on our own biological matter. Your world's flora's ability to synthesise energy from light is truly remarkable. Isn't that funny, Grace said, looking at Penelope. That's what Penn's been studying, isn't it, dear? Yes, Penelope said, not interested in telling an alien about her research, partially because she felt she should be the one asking questions here. Tell me, how long have you been on our planet? I've only been here for the past five months, but other members of my race have been aware of your world since your 1980s. We have been surveilling this planet for decades, but only started manning missions about three years ago. We've learned a lot in that time. How to speak our language, for one, Penelope said. That is correct. Noise frequencies are mostly used on my planet during communication as a way to emphasise a point. What your species have done with it is truly exceptional. How do you communicate otherwise? Light displays, of course. His bowl blew up with ribbons of light. They moved and danced and exploded within the casing. Patterns flowed into other patterns and dripping molten light burst in a vivid display. What did you just say then? Grace asked, awe and delight on her face. That we are ready to leave, he intoned. A tendril of light extended from his head to reach up towards the interior of the ship. Once it connected, the vessel began to move forward. The doors of the airplane hangar opened and they passed through them and up into the sky. Penelope reached out to brace herself, but realised she needn't have bothered. There was little movement from within the ball. She could see the metal exterior shifting around the globe, but they stayed perfectly stabilised. Another tendril left the beige man's dome and Penelope saw a shimmer of light pass over the ship. It made the fuselage look like dappled water, wavering in and out of view. Are we invisible now? She asked the beige man. Correct, he told her. How does that work? Light refraction? You know, we have scientists working on the same technology, she told him. Yes, he said. His bulb vibrated as fireworks exploded inside. Penelope looked at him, confused for a moment before deciphering the action. Are you laughing at us? she asked. Yes, your race has achieved interesting things, but when it comes to manipulation of light, you are like... He left the sentence hang for a moment, then asked, What's something that is less than a baby? Penelope chose not to answer the question. Instead, she looked out at the land passing below. It rushed by faster than any aeroplane, the details difficult to focus on. She wondered just how fast they were going. Fast enough to make her meeting, that was for sure, she thought with a smile. Why, at this rate, they'll probably beat the plane she was supposed to be on. She might even have a bit of extra time up her sleeve, which would be useful to go over her presentation one more time. She couldn't believe she was so close to presenting her work. Well, she couldn't believe a lot about this day, but still, that thought made her tremble. Seven years of research, late nights and early mornings, so much time given to learning, exploring, expanding, and now she was able to stand in front of some of the greatest minds on renewable energy and tell them that she had cracked photosynthesis far beyond the existing solar panels. Not only that, but she discovered a cheap, easy way to store its products. In effect, solve the energy crisis. If today went well, if it went the way she hoped, the world would be changed. Energy would turn from a commodity into a simple staple of life, endlessly accessible, no different to air, which in itself was fantastic, but the further implications were what really excited her. Yes, people would no longer have to pay electricity bills, but with endless amounts of energy, human beings as a whole could achieve so much more. Supercomputers, that until now were limited by the amount of power required, would no longer have those limitations. 
So what if some amazing machine needed the energy it usually took to run a country for a year? It could have it, and more. Desalination plants could be set up across the globe, and drinkable water could be delivered to every person on the planet, all for the cost of the energy to run it, which would be nothing. And with unlimited energy, common space travel would not only be achievable, but inevitable. So much could be done, the next step of human existence, and it all began with this presentation. Penelope thought it was good, mostly. At the very least, it wasn't bad, she hoped. She knew she wasn't always the best communicator. Terrible, at times, if she was being truly honest. But Grace had told her the presentation was good, which meant a lot. Although, Penelope thought, she would have to say that, wouldn't she, being her grandmother and all. Still, Grace had encouraged her through every iteration of the presentation Penelope had practised on her, even playing out each time as if she'd never heard it before, and had offered some useful edits, mostly on the delivery, which had helped immensely, with her confidence if nothing else. Penelope looked to her grandmother sitting across from her. She had her big grey smile on as she watched the world go by, and Penelope knew she deserved an apology. Yes, she'd been late, but that was Grace, as was endless support, and Penelope knew she wouldn't be even a fraction this close to her goal without her. Penelope rose and wove her way through the plants to sit beside her grandmother. Grace looked at her, her smile as big as ever. Isn't this wonderful, Pen? she said. Yes, it is. Penelope paused. It was always a struggle to be open. I... I just wanted to say sorry. Did you? Well, that's nice. What are you sorry for, dear? Penelope rolled her eyes. Ever since she'd been a child, it had been the same. It wasn't enough just to say sorry. You had to say what you were sorry for. It had infuriated her as a child, and admittedly still did. But she could see the point. Sorries were easy. It's just a word. Stating the way you'd hurt someone was different, and ensured you'd be unlikely to do it again. Sorry for yelling at you earlier. There were better ways I could have handled the situation, Penelope said. Grace looked into her eyes and gave a soft smile. I don't even remember it. Penelope smiled back, then saw the confusion on her grandmother's face. Are you joking? she asked. About what, dear? Grace replied. Penelope's stomach sank. Grace looked out the window again. Isn't this wonderful, Pen? she repeated, and Penelope's stomach sank further. It is, she said, voice hollow. Have you ever seen so many stars? Grace asked. Penelope ignored the question, too busy tracking through recent memories, connecting dots to reveal an image she hadn't seen before. How her grandmother couldn't remember if the presentation was in the morning or the evening, how she'd forgotten to set an alarm, how she responded to every version of the presentation as if it were brand new, how she often faked senility. Except now she saw there was nothing fake about it. Then Grace's question finally caught up to Penelope. Had she said stars? Penelope looked out the window and rather than seeing land and sky, instead saw the vast field of space whizzing by them. Earth, Brisbane and any hope of giving her presentation becoming an ever-decreasing dot of blue and green. I won't ask you again, Penelope shrieked. Turn around! I'm afraid I can't do that, the beige man replied in his filament voice. You can and you will, Penelope said. Or, or... A proper threat failed to come to her and her words trailed off. Or we'll smash every one of these plants, Grace yelled. She immediately followed through on her threat, lifting one of the small shrubs into the air and throwing it against the side of the craft. The pot shattered and Grace ground her foot into the roots of the plant for good measure. Penelope could have cried. Instead, she kicked over one of the larger bushes and once more yelled, Turn this ship around! The plants, while regrettable, are not the main reason I was sent to your planet, the beige man said. Others have already collected a number of flora samples and doubtless others will collect more. I can deal with their loss. 
Then why did you come here? Penelope asked. For you. For Miss Penelope Mary Armitage Jones. I was tasked to find you and bring you to our home. Penelope tried to sit, but instead found herself falling back onto her chair. It was over. She wasn't just going to be late, she was going to be absent entirely. She thought she might throw up. Then she looked at Grace and felt a numbness wash over her, a sense of inevitable helplessness. She would never master time. How could she? It was too big, too mighty. She might try and parcel it up into bite-sized portions in order to give herself a sense of control over it, drop in some deadlines and events on a calendar and force relevance on them. But time just ticked on endlessly, uncaring to the wants and needs of the people stuck in its flow. Just look at her grandmother. Time was already wearing her away. And that was when Penelope started to cry. Heart-weary sobs that constricted her throat and made her feel light-headed. She felt Grace's arms around her, heard the same soft, comforting words she'd heard whenever she'd been upset as a child, which only made her cry harder. When all her tears had run dry and she managed to regain her composure, she sat with her grandmother, arms around the older woman. Together, they wordlessly watched space pass them by. After some time, Grace fell asleep. Penelope could hardly blame her. Space might be vast and endless, but it was also very empty. Watch it long enough and it all begins to feel very same-same. Penelope stood and wandered, taking the time to study a number of the plants. They're all fairly common, she saw, all good growers, weeds as often as not. Her eyes turned to the beige man. He hadn't said or done anything since she started crying, not one word of regret or apology. She approached him and sat, looking forward as space and time flew by. After a moment, he spoke. I'm sorry about your grandmother. Penelope turned to look at his bulbous electrified head. Excuse me? She asked. Something similar happens to my people over time. The electrical signals weaken, causing them to become confused and disorientated. Penelope didn't know what to say, so she didn't say anything. Of course, it's all very treatable, he told her. Her face turned stern, not sure she'd heard him right. Did you say treatable? Yes, it's just a matter of strengthening the electrical pulses. A small matter for our race, and despite appearances, your grey matter is not so different. I strongly expect the same treatment would have similar results on Grace. You're saying you've solved dementia? The beige man turned his head in a way that she assumed meant he was looking at her. Yes. Penelope didn't know what to say. The implications of that simple statement were huge. And you could do it for Grace, once we arrived on your planet? Of course. Thank you, she said, her throat swelling with emotion once more. If you can really do that, well, then I don't even care if I ever make it to my presentation. Despite her words, and despite how much she meant them, the feeling wasn't without some loss as well. Will we ever be able to return to Earth? She asked. The beige man thought, and then answered. That depends on you, he said. What does that mean? My planet has used up all its resources, depleted all its energy. For my people, this means disaster. We will starve and die. I was sent to your planet to find a solution, even though it meant using a large chunk of our final supply. We believe you and your studies are that solution. If you're able to solve our energy crisis, then we'll have enough power to return you and your grandmother to Earth. Penelope thought about that for a moment, the practical part of her brain suddenly overriding the emotional. Okay, deal. But you should know my work is currently all theoretical. I believe it can be made practical, but I can't do it on my own. That is fine. Waiting for us when we land are a collection of the greatest scientific minds on our planet. They are waiting to hear from you. They want me to do a presentation? Correct, the beige man said. Well, can we go any faster then, she said, allowing herself a smile. We don't want to be late.
Thanks for listening to this month's short tale. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, to finish this episode off, I've recorded some afterthoughts, which detail where the idea for this story came from and any challenges I faced while writing it. If that feels too self-indulgent for your tastes, fair enough. But if that sounds like your kind of thing, then listen on. There are many ways to start a story. I think the most common for me is an idea. A thought brought on by one observation or another, often colliding with a remembered fact or a common story trope, or just yet another thought, combining to create something new. For example, a random thought about staying at a hotel crashes into the remembered fact about the Australian town of Cooperpedia, where many people live underground to avoid the heat. And that becomes an idea for a story about an underground hotel. And so that's often where I start. But that's only one way to start building a story. One of my jobs is to teach kids creative writing. For some of these kids, story runs through their blood, and so their brains are often boiling over with story ideas. But for others, they have no idea where to start. When that's the case, I offer them three options. One, come up with a setting you think is interesting and would be happy to write a story in. Haunted lighthouse, base on Mars, a beach cave, their home, whatever. Two, Come up with a character you naturally find a bit interesting, either based on their age, personality, or occupation. Kind-hearted pirate, sneaky grandma, tiny alien, a curmudgeon-y albatross, whatever just naturally grabs their attention and interest. Three, a want for a character. Something big or small, complicated or simple, just something a character might want. To save the world, take over the world, buy an ice cream, solve a mystery, dig a hole so deep it would break past the Earth's crust. Again, just brainstorm until something grabs their imagination. Ideally, though, they do all three. If you have all three of those things, you have a pretty good foundation to tell a story. You know where it's set, who it's about, and what the initial action will be, namely the character pursuing their want. For this story, I had the character first, or at least her name. Miss Penelope Mary Armitage-Jones. But that seemed to tell me a lot about who she was. I could picture her as someone responsible but uptight, someone serious but who cared deeply about things, and who hated being late. That final detail just seemed to fit who she was, and led to both the setting and the want. Where better than an airport for someone who hated being late, a place that can become disastrous for anyone not punctual? Of course, this meant I had to pair her with someone who wasn't punctual, which was how Grace came into it. This then led to the want, to somehow avoid being late to an important meeting after already having missed her flight because of Grace. And like I said, once you have those things, you can tell a story. All you need to do is ask yourself, given the setting, what would my character do next to achieve their want? And go from there. For me, this question was answered thanks to remembering a time I once spotted a man dressed head to toe in beige and wondering what kind of person would dress like that. No person at all, I decided. There are also many ways to finish a story, but they all ultimately have to do the same thing. Either our character achieves their want, or if it's a tragedy, something happens that means the character will never be able to achieve their want. Of course, how that gets expressed is entirely up to you. Alright, those are all my thoughts. But if you have any that you'd like to share, please do. You can write to me at shorttales.podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at MiddayPajamas. Also, while this podcast will always be free, if you'd like to throw a few extra dollars my way, you can do so by visiting co-fi.com forward slash Damien Rob. Or you can find all the appropriate links in the episode show notes. Until next time, this has been Short Tales and I've been Damien Rob.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.